you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Thank you so much to Kula for sponsoring today's episode. As I have talked about on this podcast a couple of times, I had skin cancer last summer, or I'd had it for longer than that, but I discovered it last summer, and it was totally fine. My dermatologist described it as the best kind of cancer you can have if you're going to have cancer, but it was scary. And it, what you love to hear. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's the good cancer. If you're going to get cancer, it's the kind to have, but, and yeah. everything was fine and I got it removed, but it was certainly a ordeal. Um, and it was scary and it means I'm at higher risk for skin cancer moving forward. I have to get checked out regularly now. So I am crazier than ever before about just wearing SPF, even when I'm not leaving the house. And I have been so excited to discover Kula's award-winning sun silk drops that are truly incredible. It's broad spectrum SPF 30 protection. It is just like the lightest, thinnest serum that goes on and absorbs so nicely. Like I never feel like it's sitting on top of my skin. I never feel like I'm going to sweat it right off. I feel like it like gets right into my skin and I'm just so into it and so psyched about it. And I have personally used this upcoming coupon code multiple times to stock up on, on the coolest sun silk drops. I mean, look at that. If you are looking for even more than sun protection, Kula just launched a new organic skincare line that supports your skin's natural barrier. Kula's organic skincare line is your skin's first line of protection, keeping moisture and nutrients in and modern day environmental and digital stressors out. Kula's new Great Barrier Cream Fortifying Moisturizer harnesses the healing power of the sea sounds fancy, with organic ingredients like sea kelp and blue algae to boost hydration and help strengthen your skin's natural barrier. And their new Vital Rush Skin Renewal Serum revitalizes stressed skin with an organic blend of plant power ingredients, combining the amazing properties of goji berry with the vitamin-rich kamu kamu extract. These concentrated nutrients help renew fatigued skin, and our skin is as fatigued as we are. Want to give your skin what it's really craving? Check out the new Kula Organic Skincare on Kula.com. They'll even give you 10% off your first order with the code a thing or two. That's 10% off with the code a thing or two at Kula.com. Hi there. We wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to thank you for listening. We really, really love getting to do this show and your support, whether it's by subscribing, leaving us a review, or supporting our advertisers is what makes it possible. We are ridiculously grateful. And I'm sorry that I'm going to do a whole like people are asking influencer energy thing here, but sometimes people do in fact ask us if there are other ways that they can support us. Friends, the answer is yes. 
Um, our secret menu membership program is a once weekly members only newsletter that costs four bucks a month and your first month's fee goes straight to charity. We cover all sorts of topics. We're talking shopping, gifting, food, entertainment, even advice, and of course, snacks. You can sign up for it all at a thing or two hq.com to start receiving it. And you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed. And if you've made it this far without subscribing to our free Monday newsletter, well, what are you doing? Go ahead and rectify that also at a thing or two hq.com. If all of that sounds like too much effort, we get it. Maybe just take 15 seconds to go smash some stars for us in the rating section of Apple Podcasts. That helps a ton, truly. Thank you. Now on to the show. Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two hq. Erica, yes. I got to say, we've been able to be pickier about sponsors lately, and it feels really good because we have really good ones lately. We do. We do. We have Modern Fertility, we have Right Wellness, and we have Lesser Evil, and we will get into all of that shortly. But sure. first, two two things, two things yes. we want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. We are going to answer a gifting question. Yes. Then we're going to talk with Mateo Kapoor, who wrote the book Black Buck, which is a very, very, very buzzed about debut mm-hmm. novel. Fair yeah. description. Buzzed totally about. fair description. I was buzzing about it. I don't know if anybody, Jenna Hager was was buzzing about it for sure. Yeah, NPR was buzzing about it. I feel like it's very buzzed about. <laughs> it's a buzzy bee. Um, it's a buzzy bee. So right, we're doing a gifting queue. We're doing this now because we figured why relegate our gift guides to just the holidays. So if you have gifting questions, send them our way to our various inboxes, and maybe we will select it and address it at the top of a podcast episode. So today, yeah, we are in, on the hunt for a boss going away gift, best boss I ever had, mentor, mid-50s, male, already gave booze. First um, of all, model submission. Like, thank you for the details. Perfect details. I love them. I, great. I, w- I need to know that you already gave him booze or we probably yeah. would have suggested booze and you don't need that from us. So That's right. thank you. Thank That's you. Right. We also thought that like our time peg for this one is that we think that there's like, we're in this moment of people starting to transition jobs, tail end of pandemic, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, where it's like, oh, I definitely haven't changed a job in the last 18 months or whatever. Yeah. And people exploring new opportunities. So maybe, maybe other people have bosses leaving. Maybe other people will have like junior employees leaving. Who knows? I have to say that one of the details that I would have liked about this is the boss leaving or is the employee leaving? Do you, how did you interpret this? Boss leaving for sure. Okay. I interpreted it the other way around and then I was like, oh, maybe not. I don't, who knows? But yeah, I mean, it does say boss going away gift. So you think the boss is going away. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. The only thing I think it like difference it makes is like, if you're the one going away, there's maybe a little bit, there's like an undertone of apology. To the, to the leaving, right? We're yeah. like, I'm sorry, I'm leaving you. And maybe you it has to be you a think the person should spend like an extra 20 bucks. If they're, yeah, if they're also because they're, they're presumably getting a raise, right? If you're going mm, somewhere. So totally. I was like, I was looking at it through that lens of like, you're moving on up. You're like leaving this boss who's mentored you and you're leaving them high and dry. And so like, let's go okay. kind of nice. But if it's I the think boss, our suggestions hold either way. 
I agree. I guess I just don't even know if I would have thought to give my boss who was leaving me a gift. I'm like, that guy, that guy's got to give me a gift. Or what, <laughs> like, right? Like, you're leaving me anyway. Let's talk about gifts. One, one initial thought, since you already put the idea of booze into our minds. Maybe leather coasters. Mm. We like leatherology in general for custom mm-hmm. or customized leather stuff. And mm-hmm. they have very nice, pretty, simple leather coasters that are very like approachably priced. So that could be a good starting point. I also um, like that because it's like the kind of coaster you could keep in your desk drawer. And when you're like having drinks with somebody at your desk or serving somebody a beverage or whatever, you can pull them on out. And that's yes. Cute. And it feels like chill enough and mm-hmm. not it doesn't really depend that much on somebody's taste um, mm-hmm. because they're just very clean and simple. These are not like a like very like a only for whiskey drinkers kind of yes. <laughs> kind of coaster. Yeah. Um, and then related to this, I think we've talked before about how Yeti just feels like one of those brands that dude of every ilk can get into. Mm -hmm. And Yeti does customized like bottles and, you know, Yeti contraptions, right? Yep. Yep. They give you a lot of room to customize. It's not just like a monogram situation as most of these things are. I tested it to to gauge. gauge. I tested What did you test? How much space is there in this box to write a message? Like that kind of... Mm -hmm. Not mm-hmm. my my version of Laura Ipsum. Um, what would you What would you recommend that our gift giver inscribe on the Yeti bottle? I think it's like a catchphrase this person has, or a piece mm-hmm. of advice they gave you, or something that's like always no good be deed. closing. Always be closing. No good deed goes unpunished. Like yeah. things like that that feel okay. like would be like an inside joke that they would take a certain amount of like laugh at themselves pride in. I like this. I like this direction. Um, what thoughts do you have? You know, I didn't have as many good thoughts as you. Like I said, I'm what do just, you mean? I think I think you're a better employee and therefore a better gift <laughs> giver to a boss. I thought a nice set of steak knives could work. I think that's lovely. What's wrong? Why isn't that a good idea? Um, you know, I liked that yours could be used at the office. Okay. These I, you don't think the steak knives can be used at the office. Well, uh, I mean, it also felt a little bit like potato. it also feels like when you picture the prototypical male boss, why am I imagining that he likes to eat steak? I think that was my critique of this. steak knife for all kinds of things. That's I true. Do. That's true. So Openel makes really beautiful ones. La Guille. I don't actually know how to pronounce this brand that I've looked at forever and I've never said out loud. La Guille? Let's go with that. I'm not going to be the one to know. Something else that I love and have gifted is the Suda Wave business card holder, which is not like a wallet. It's the kind of business card holder you put on your desk to put out business cards. I don't know if your boss is a type of boss that still uses business cards. This is just a very beautiful, simple sort of designy business card holder. I love it. My last thought is flowers. Um, I think yeah. we should just be we sending flowers to men more than we do. I don't understand why that's like not, I don't know. I don't understand why that's not the go-to for this situation. Um, I was looking the other day a, a flower business near us called Brooklyn Blooms, which is a, does a really wonderful job. Had a bouquet that was flagged specifically for men, um, which I kind <laughs> of like lulled at. Like I, right. I appreciated that there was like a nudge in its yeah. way, but I was like, there is no like man flowers and lady flowers. No. There's just f- there are just flowers. flowers. That's um, right. That's right. Just a nice show of appreciation. Agreed. Um, should we bring on our guest? Let's, let's, let's. So we have on today the author of Black Buck, Matteo Ascaripor, 
And he writes about, he draws from his experience working in sales at a startup. Which like, book- if if you've been at a startup, when you read this, it is Ooh. so clear that the author has also worked at a startup. You don't need to read his bio to know that. It is, it will hit beep. It will hit in different, that, like, as they say. In in that, like, Anna, like, wiener in a, way. Mm-hmm, like, Uncanny Valley. Yes. Yes. Yes, it, exactly. It, it's a book that centers, that, like, race really is the central theme, but that, like, startup culture is, is, I would say, the secondary theme for sure. That's right. So the book follows the meteoric and complicated rise of Darren, a.k.a. Buck, who is a 22-year-old Black man who is plucked from Starbucks to join the sales team at a very white therapy startup. And, like, to give you a sense of the sort of startup vibe, you don't even know that it's a therapy startup for the first 50 or so pages <laughs> or like, you know, that the, at introduction, because they're just like selling a dream, you know, like they're just <laughs> selling a vision. It is one of these books that like is heavy on the satire, but when you really sit with the satire for a minute, you're like, no, it's, it's like, sure, it's satire, but it's also totally plausible. And I love the concept of the startup, which is that they basically have these like contract gig workers all over the world who specialize in different types of therapy, like Buddhism or CBT or whatever. It's like sort of just like, you. it could just be your part-time job the way you're a part-time Uber driver. And so you just like tap into this network of gig worker therapists all over the world. And the way they set it up in the book is totally ridiculous. But then you're like, no, this feels not far off from sort of what's happening these days. And you can imagine that pitch meeting. Oh, completely. It's a really satisfying and and also upsetting read. Um, That's right. It's great. Yeah. Okay, let's bring Mateo on. Thank you so much to Modern Fertility for sponsoring today's episode. Before we get into this, we did just want to take a moment to acknowledge how painful the topic of fertility can be for so many people and to send our love to anyone dealing with infertility or pregnancy loss. And to that point, if you do want to skip over this part, we encourage it. Just hit the 30-second fast-forward button three or four times and you should be out of this. That said, if you are curious about fertility and your own reproductive health, whether you want kids or not, Modern fertility is so interesting. I didn't even know this was possible. They take a blood sample from this really from just a simple finger prick and unlock tons of insight into your reproductive health. So that includes things like egg count, which I think is sort of like the obvious thing that people, especially if you do want kids, are curious about. But there's also stuff like menopause timing, if your hormone levels indicate conditions like thyroid disorders or PCOS, all things that would be useful, honestly, I think for all of us to know, right? Truly, all of us to know. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's the easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing with a doctor can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility only costs $159 to get the same information. And if you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two, you can get $20 off your test. Also, if you have an HSA or FSA, you can use those dollars on modern fertility. You'll get insight into how many eggs you have, hormone levels, and other important fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means, and you can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and options on next steps. If you want kids today or maybe one in the future, you want to get that information that will help you make the decision that's best for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. modernfertility.com slash a thing or two. 
Thank you so much to Wright Wellness Company for sponsoring today's show. Wright Wellness Company makes an all-new natural CBN remedy for sleep, pain, and anxiety. Erica, what's what's your sleep situation like these days? How are you sleeping? Well, you know, I, I generally sleep pretty okay, but the other night my sleep was a combination of sleep and anxiety, I would oh. say. And like, it was like not specific anxiety, you know? Yeah. It started with being like, why is the bunny look so sad and tired today? Mm-hmm. And what's that? And is that going to be a thing? And then just spiraled into a sort of like, blanket anxiety. The best uh, kind. Yeah, exactly. And it made me be like, why? Like I should, I should have gotten, when, when I started feeling this way, I should have like gotten up and taken some things. Yes. <laughs> like, so that like four hours later, I wasn't still like fussing in bed. That's kind of that. That's the story. That's how it always goes. You're like, but I don't want to get up and take something because then I'll be even more awake. And like, I need to just lay here and make it happen. Well, here's the thing. Clearly you are an ideal candidate for right wellness as CBN. But also the other nice thing about this is like you take it every day. Yeah. So it's not like you're, you don't have to have that feeling of like, do I take it right now? Am I anxious enough to warrant taking this? You take it every day. It helps even out your anxiety, helps you get better sleep, helps with pain. It's better than just like getting up and taking an aspirin every time you're feeling weird. It can help you find the relief you're looking for. It's this all new tincture that uses the latest transformative hemp ingredient, CBN, which is different than CBD. It's a powerful, non-intoxicating hemp-derived compound with benefits around reducing stress, sleeping better, and managing aches and pains. It's similar to CBD, but it is actually a lot more effective. So if, you, if you've been feeling like CBD, you're like, what's the story here? Maybe this is the CBN from Right Wellness is for you. Right Wellness wants to help you get the relief you deserve. Save 20% for being a listener of the show. Simply go to rightwellness.co. That's rightwellness.co and use the promo code right for you. Try it risk-free. If you're not fully satisfied in the first 30 days, they'll give you a full refund. Go to rightwellness.co and use the promo code right for you. Mateo, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We love this book. It was really fun. It's like big, but a fast read. Um, Mm. And the thing that really stuck with me throughout reading it and that I took away with me and kept thinking about was that it's actually a sales manual, right? Yeah, it it does double (laughs) as one for sure. And this idea of sales is so central to it, despite it also being this really fast-moving novel that is darkly comic and that is feels like a thriller at times. Mm. All throughout sale, this like concept of sales feels so central. Why did you want to do that? For me, sales was just a vehicle of the message of empowerment in the novel. It's also the world that I come from. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I worked at a startup and I worked in sales for, for many years and I began writing while I was still, you know, working full time. And when it came time to, to write this book after having written two manuscripts that didn't go anywhere, I said, you know, why don't I write about things that are so close to me, but I haven't really uh, discussed on the page, namely sales, race and startups, or at least I hadn't discussed the intersection of those three things in this way. Um, and when it was time to write something that felt true to me, you know, true to the people that I wanted to serve and what I believe is the reality of the nation that we live in, sales was just it, right? Sales is as American as, as apple pie and baseball and in, in slavery. Yep, yep, yep. How do you think about sales as more than just like a job, but as like what you're saying is like something that's so American or so core to how people go about their lives? Yeah, I I, I truly believe that it is... 
um, perhaps not at the basis, but present in all interactions. Right now, this conversation, right? This is me now selling you. And, and we might not call it selling all the time because selling sales has a, a negative connotation, right? You, t- you typically think of a sleazy guy who's going to push you, push you a car that's going to break down or someone that's just trying to get your money, right? But I believe that an exchange of ideas and trying to get your point across and advocating for yourself and those that you love are all just iterations of sales. You know, an extreme example is when I tell someone I love them, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get them to believe that I love them. But sometimes people push back on that notion that everything is sales because we have just been taught to perceive it as something that is sinister. Yeah. Or like smarmy in some way. Exactly. Um, that yeah. you're being like pushed to do something that you don't want to be doing. Otherwise I was, as I was finishing your book, I rewatched Ocean's 11, um, mm. which like has a, like, there are some of those same like tones in that movie of people mm. being taught basically sales. Um, and mm-hmm. there are those like moments where you're getting those experiences where you're, they're just teaching people how to be good at human interaction, um, right. And how mm-hmm. to make people trust them and how to, you know, be like funny, but not too funny. And like, competent, but not like memorable and all of those, all of those things that felt like they were echoed in your books at, at some point. Most definitely. And, and something that, you know, you probably also saw in that movie and it was present in the book is that in sales, it's not even always just uh, what you're saying or how you're saying it, but also being able to listen. Mm-hmm. Yes, totally, totally, totally. Who taught you how to be a good salesperson? <laughs> uh, yeah, there were, there were a couple people, you know, when I was at this startup, I was at first an intern and I was working with a community and social, uh, community manager, social media manager. And then he got let go and I became that role. And then months later, the powers that be said it's time as any startup would or should to make money. <laughs> so I was tapped by the CEO to start the sales team with him. I was 21, just about to turn 22. And there were about 20 people in the office and it was just me on a phone. So imagine me, I'm in the middle of uh, this union square office and 19 or so other people can just hear me, you know, making phone calls and coughing. I wasn't a prodigy by any means. I was like, (coughs) this is Mateo (laughs) calling from, you got everyone listening in on me. And then you got, you got the CEO and another co-founder taking me into a room and and having me make calls in in front of them. So it was intense. It was very sink or swim. I almost got fired a handful of times, but then finally it clicked and it clicked with the help of people who were running the company, other people who weren't running the company, but believed in me. Um, I also read a couple books, Jeffrey Gittimer, uh, The Little Red Book of Selling, The Sales Bible. Those were a couple books that were handed to me by one of the co-founders that gave me a foundation for what it meant to, to sell, uh, to actually provide people with solutions, and at the end of the day, to uh, do what you needed to do. Yeah. Why do you think that selling is such an important skill specifically for people of color? Well, I think it's an important skill for everyone, but as it relates to people of color, our voices are typically silenced, you know, in the context of the majority, uh, our voices aren't heard as loudly as others in the workplace when we are not in the majority. Um, and it's, again, it's not just for people of color. It could also have to do with anyone who is one of the few, if not the only one of their demographic, 
it, you know, relating to people who identify as women, you know, uh, religion, um, gender expression, sexual orientation, so forth. But when it comes down to, to those people who are one of the few, if not the only one of, of, of their respective demographic, it's important to know how to advocate for yourself. Yep. How to advocate for yourself in an interview. And I know that this is something that both of you discuss and, and know all too well, how to advocate for a higher salary when you know that someone else from another background is being paid more, how to advocate for people who look like you when the hiring managers say, eh, just not a culture fit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a lot about advocacy and being able to use your voice to help other people and yourself succeed, however you define success. Yeah. It's interesting framing advocacy as sales. It's like it's something that I would never have put together, but does mm-hmm. like reframe what it is. Yeah. What do you think makes someone, what are some of the skills that make someone good at sales or at self-advocacy? Well, not being able to get bogged down by failure, but instead to use it as momentum to move forward. And I'm not exactly saying that you have to receive a rejection and then just like get high off of it, you know, <laughs> but, but knowing that it's just a means to an end to, again, being able to uh, truly and actively listen to other people instead of just saying, what, you know, let me just listen so I can get whatever they're saying out of the way and then just impose, you know, what I want to say on them. Three, I would say is being able to tap into your purpose and connecting whatever you're doing or whatever you're selling or whatever you're advocating for to your greatest, greater purpose as a human. When I was working at this startup, <laughs> I mean, I convinced myself that we were curing cancer when we weren't, right? <laughs> but every day when I'd make 100 calls or 150, it could be, you know, 6 p.m. And I'm saying, all right, it's time to call Australia, time to call the Far East, because this is just, you know, I'm living into my purpose. And that's what helped me, even though eventually I said, what am I doing? Like, this is, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're not, we're not changing the world in this way. Thank you so much to Lester Evil for sponsoring today's episode. So Claire, I think I've told you, but I have really just struggled planning for lunches recently. Oh, it just same. feels like <laughs> incredibly challenging. Same. And so I've been doing this like, well, I'll have this celery that's like three stalks of celery with some peanut butter and then mm. maybe some almonds mm-hmm. and then maybe like a little bit of this leftover fried rice or like these are not whatever. Um, Sounds like my lunch is for sure. <laughs> I have to say that having a little bowl of lesser evil something or other, it really makes it feel like more of a treat than <laughs> it otherwise would be. I also just like how I argue to myself. I'm like, sure, I'm just eating like this handful of olives, but I'm getting protein from these lesser evil paleo puffs because they're egg whites. So there's oh, my protein. A hundred percent. No, I mean, this, the power curls are the egg white ones. Oh, right. Sorry. The yes. paleo puffs are like the grain-free ones. Yes. But don't worry. I only know this because I make the same arguments <laughs> to myself, Claire. Totally, totally. Obviously, you guys know you've been hearing us talk about Lesser Evil for so long, even before they were a sponsor. We're so into them. We love snacks in general, and these guys know their snacks. They're on a mission to inspire mindful snacking by making healthier, less processed, earth-friendly snacking accessible to everyone. They believe that ingredients mean everything and that less is more. They partner with organic farms and thoroughly vetted vendors across the world to get the cleanest, highest quality ingredients possible. They have their own factories, so they're really like just controlling everything, all the steps in the process. You can't see through the packaging, but you can see through their process. All of Lesser Evil snacks are USDA organic, non-GMO project verified. 
certified grain-free and low in sugar. They have plenty of vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly options. And they're committed to taking every step possible to create a more ethical future of food. Through simple acts and clean snacks, Lesser Evil hopes to make the world a little more good. You can find Lesser Evil in regional grocery stores nationwide and nationally at Whole Foods Market, but for the full array of their products, which let me tell you, we've tried and we love, including pantry items and merch, visit their online shop at lesserevil.com. Lesser Evil is offering an exclusive deal to podcast listeners. Take 25% off your first one-time order with code a thing or two. Please use this code for one, because we want you to experience the magic, but two, we want Lesser Evil to renew with us because I feel like next time around, we should get their merch. Don't you think? I think. Like realizing that they have merch and it hasn't been sent to us, I'm like, we need to step up our game. Let's work on this. Yeah. Initially, some of the writing in your book reads like satire about the startup world. Mm -hmm. But as people who have also come from that space and have seen enough of it, I feel like we're like, well, like most of it, like when when you really get in there, it's like rings pretty true. And this is just how that world (laughs) operates. How do you navigate that line? Or how did you think about the difference between satire or what just like rang true to your experience? Sure. Well, when I when I was writing the book, I knew that I wanted it to include satirical elements and absurdist elements. Uh, but by no means was I, I I saying I'm going to write a piece of satire or mm-hmm. something that is wholly satirical or wholly absurd. For me, my goals with Black Buck was to write something that felt honest and true, and something that would be authentic. And to have it just be 400 pages of doom and gloom or tragedy of, uh, and trauma would have been inauthentic uh, to my experience, the experience of so many other people. Because when you do look at <laughs> the workplace in general, but especially tech startups and sales, it lends itself uh, on a platter of, of sorts <laughs> to absurdity yeah. and humor. So to, to answer the question directly, Eric, I, I, I intentionally blurred the lines. For people who haven't come from these worlds, they will look at things like the acronyms of uh, AC, you know, a- ACV and, and LTV, ARR, and, and all of these things as being absurd. Some people think that I make them up, that I made them up, <laughs> when in fact we know that they're not. Lifetime they're value, come on. Like, yeah. Exactly. They're just part and parcel of these worlds. With that said, I was definitely looking to blur the line at times and put the responsibility or burden, if you will, on the reader to figure out what's what. And at the end of the day, some people look at this book and they say, that was just really funny. Great job, Mateo. I was just laughing so hard. And then other people will say, that was funny, but it also illuminated some of the horrors <laughs> of systemic racism and I was triggered. Uh, but uh, the way that I look at it is, it's not my job to uh, judge the reader. In general, how much did Darren's startup experience mirror your own? It's hard to quantify it. You know, when, when people ask me these questions, I, I usually make a joke about it. You know, I'll just make up like a percentage of sorts. But <laughs> I will say that the extreme and over racism that Darren experiences in the workplace is not my experience. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, of course, if you are someone that's in the minority, again, of any group in the workplace, in an institution of higher learning, on a sports team, in a religious organization, you are going to hear things that we can call passive racism or microaggressions. Of course, I experienced that. But Darren's experience, I took that from bizarre and viscerally racist experiences I had 
had when I was younger mm-hmm. and translated them into the workplace to show people just what these so-called microaggressions can often feel like for us. It's not always someone pouring a bucket of white paint on you, right? It could be as seemingly mundane or innocuous as someone calling you brother or just saying, don't you look like X, Y, Z when, when they think that they're delivering a compliment. Darren, he started, he was plucked from Starbucks. I wasn't plucked from, from Starbucks, right? I, I came in as an intern, I said. Um, but I encountered Clyde's. I you know, encountered people like Rhett and, and like a lot of the people in the book. So yeah, my, my experience suffuses every page, even if it's not directly tied to my own history. Why did you want to look at race through this lens of startup culture and, and work culture in America? Well, it was just what was most readily available to me. You know, if I had set this book, I could have set this book at a law firm. Mm-hmm. I could have set it uh, at an engineering company. I probably could have set it in a hospital. I, I could have set it in so many places that are sorely lacking black and brown people. <laughs> just in general. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm purposely not just saying diversity because it's just such a buzzword yep. um, that it, people don't even know. I, sometimes I don't even know what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> talking about figureheads? Are we talking about people in the seats? Are we talking about people who will actually make decisions? Are we talking about people that are going to cover up your lack of black and brown people or lack of, you know, women in executive positions or, or um, LGBTQ folks? So again, it was just what was on hand. It was what I knew really well. And I'm not even someone who always says, right, what you know. But <laughs> uh, I, I, as you could tell from the page, I was trying to do so much that I said, let me make it slightly easier on myself because I, d- I didn't have to do any research to render the world of startups on the page. I didn't have to do any research about sales. It's, I, I lived those things. So I wanted to give myself at least somewhat of an advantage when discussing race through these lens. And I also said it in these spaces because again, they are super interesting. And, and there's just so much wild fuckery that, that <laughs> <Yeah>. goes on <laughs> that I thought it would be that more engaging for people who either come from these worlds or don't come from these worlds to get an inside view or just a reminder of what they can be like. Even though, of course, not all workplaces are like the company and startup someone in it. Right. Did writing this book change the way that you feel about startups or your own experience at working in them? No, um, that's a great question, but no, no, it didn't. I left the company that I worked at in 2016 and I began Black Buck in the beginning of 2018. So I had taken a lot of time to reflect on my experience and to digest it. Now, it wasn't fully (laughs) digested and processed by the time that I wrote Black Buck, but while I was writing Black Buck, I was I had my hand sort of still in the world of startups through consulting. Mm. So I wasn't working full time, but I was consulting on my own schedule with startups across North America, building and scaling their sales teams. So I, I was able to gauge um, how much of my own experience working at a startup full time matched these other environments, what was a pattern, what was just inherent to the workplace that I was in, even though, of course, you know, when I was working full time, I'd spoken with a lot of different people at a lot of different startups and gone into some of them and seen what they were like. But no, you know, not, not too much has changed. Uh, there are some cons, but again, being authentic and keeping it real to my experience, it wasn't just full of cons. There were so many pros and we see it in the book as well, right? Where would Darren, who became Buck, have been able to start the happy campers? 
if he didn't go through that and become that person and, and attain those skills? I would say no, but again, it's on the reader to decide. Well, I thought that was one of the most interesting things and uh, like accomplishments in this book is that it is this is reads as an indictment of startup culture and to some extent Mm. capitalism. And yet it very much frames sales and one's ability to excel in a sales career as a path to empowerment and one that can be particularly advantageous and life-changing for people of color, at Mm -hmm. least in, in the way that Darren realizes that. And so it does leave the reader with, I think, a certain amount of difficulty reconciling these things where you're like, of course, <laughs> this is an evil corporation. However, it enabled Darren to create so much positive change in his life and in the life of so many others. And how how do we mm-hmm. reconcile those things? And I think part of what makes that so powerful is that is sort of the conflict that we all run up against constantly in evaluating so many things, specifically in business culture. Trade-offs, um, trade-offs, yeah. trade-offs. All, yeah. All, yeah. And and I'm really happy, Claire, that you said a path to empowerment. Mm-hmm. This is not the yeah. only way. This is just, again, the yeah. way that, that Darren is advocating for through his narrative and his story. And I'm also really happy that we're 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 using the word reconcile, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is not cut and dry. None of this is black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very complex, and and that's why, again, I'm putting the onus on the reader to try to assess the nuances in the workplace, in the narrative, and with these individuals. Because if you start this book out and you attempt to put all of these people and places and scenes into a box <laughs> and you you cling to those boxes, uh, you're, you're probably not going to enjoy the book because you're going to get just confused and, and angry um, when people aren't conforming to those expectations. And two, I, I don't think that you're, you're actually challenging yourself all that much and getting as much out of the book as I would hope readers would. You write in the introduction to the book that this is clearly written for Black audiences, but you know, non-Black people are going to read it too, and you encourage them to think of themselves as an honorary Black person. What does that mm. mean? Yeah, well, listen, Darren wrote that. <laughs> no, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I wrote it, but it's through, it's through Darren's yeah, perspective. Right yeah. um, when I wrote that, that was just a funny way of saying, try to suspend who you are and your own experience and your own history and take a ride uh, either alongside Darren or just on his shoulder through his journey and try to put yourself in his position and, and view the story through that lens rather than solely through your own. Even though I think it is important at times and especially at the end of the book, most definitely if you are a non-Black person, but also if you are, to say, how do I feel? Who am I in this narrative of this story? And also, who am I in the greater narrative of the fight for progress and, and change and, and all of these other words that we use, you know, uh, social justice and so forth? And who am I in, this nar- in the narrative of this nation or, or broader world? Because while this takes place in the States, systemic racism is not uh, something that's just in America. It's a global phenomenon. You, Darren, wrote this book for, for a Black audience. <laughs> <laughs> But this book has had so much success um, nationally. And it was Jenna's book club for Jenna Hager yeah. on the Today Show. It was her pick for the book club, which feels to me like a distinctly white audience or largely white audience. Jenna's right? black. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hoda, her co-host, 
is not white, but yes. it feels like a largely white audience is in and a, an audience of largely white women who are engaging with her book club. What is it? What did? What does it feel like for that to happen? It feels cool. I was happy about it when I wrote the book, and again, it's in the author's note that you referenced. I had black people in mind, but I also knew that non-black people were going to read it, especially white people. I mean, I I, I see trends and patterns in terms of how work and art is received and who likes to consume it and who discusses it. So I knew that <laughs> this, this wouldn't be a book that only black people are going to read. And if you're not black, it's going to burn in your hands and, and melt and, <laughs> ah, and scream, you know? Uh, so it's been, it's been cool to have this book reach other people. I am most definitely grateful whenever anyone spends time reading a book and, and uh, specifically my book, because it's time that they can't get back. And what has been a gift is not just receiving messages from um, black and brown folks who say, you don't know me, but you reflected my life in the pages of your book. And because of that, I do feel empowered. I do feel inspired and I do feel less alone, but also receiving messages. And listen, if I had if I had a quarter for every time I got a message from a 65 plus year old white woman who says this book really resonated with me, I'd have a couple dollars at least. <laughs> um, it's cool when it's cool when I get those messages because they say you have opened my eyes up to a world uh, or, or an experience that I didn't know. Thank you. You have helped me gain tools to be a better ally. Or while I'm not black, I do know what it's like to have been the only woman on an executive team full of men. And um, reading this book has just reminded me, you know, to to not take shit from other people and has reaffirmed my purpose. So thank you. So the point is, is that I, I receive all these messages and I'm just grateful for them. I'm, I'm happy about it. Are there other books or films or TV shows that you think of if you were going to like curate a syllabus um, around mm -hmm. Black Buck that you would put in that syllabus? The Spook Who Sat By The Door most definitely, mm. written by Sam Greenlee from 1969. I think that it is the book that is most directly in conversation with my own. And I'd only read it last August. <laughs> so uh, a long time after I wrote Black Buck and um, you know a handful of months before it came out. But yeah, The Spook Who Sat By The Door. That's the one that, that comes, I guess, closely to mind. The Sellout is one that I read before or while reading or while writing Black Buck, it was, it was beforehand, I'm pretty sure. And that gave me the confidence to write this narrative in this way. Uh, for those who haven't read The Sellout, it is very satirical. It is very absurd. And when I read it, I was like, holy shit, Paul Beatty wrote this book and not only got it published, but it won the Man Booker Prize. You know, maybe I can be uh, audacious or ambitious enough to push the envelope with my own narrative. So those are, those are two books. Um, Heads of the Colored People by Nafisa Thompson Spires is another one where from chapter to chapter, you just see the kaleidoscope of blackness and she's using satire in many places and it's just so beautifully and skillfully rendered. So th those are a couple of books, but I would need more time to flesh out a, a full-ass syllabus. <laughs> we'll wait until your master Fair. class. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Maybe we can close by just telling you that I am someone who like really loves and savors acknowledgement sections of mm. books. Oh. And I really loved yours. Thank it was you. so I'm it's the desire, the like impulse that I have to read it is really out of nosiness um, and mm. like imagining <laughs> the author's life to some extent. And you just gave us so much in that department. 
And so thank, thank you, you for, for thank you for reading it. Uh, for for the homies who read the acknowledgments, they're a real one, and it's it was just pure stream of consciousness. And at no point did my editor say we need to cut this down. <laughs> I mean, I will say, and this is not the case with all acknowledgement sections that I love, but I actually felt like it added something to the book. Like you started oh, to wow. understand some author's intent in it and wow. inspirations. I don't know. I thought it was great. I don't think people should skip it no matter how long it is. Mateo, this was amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Anybody who hasn't read Black Buck yet, read it. It's wonderful. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can follow us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at a thing or two HQ.com. Find show notes and much more on a thing or two HQ.com. <laughs>